0: This Sunday, um, Gary Frazier is going to be in. Dr. Gary Fraser. If you've never heard of Dr. Gary Fraser, he's going to preach. Uh, he's going to preach on the end times, the second coming. Uh, and uh, if you want, if you want someone to put in perspective for you all the world events and what's going on, and uh, you'll notice what I'm going to talk to you do it about today as we get to Anna. We've been looking, uh, looking at widows uh, through the Bible. As you know, I'm writing this book uh, in preparation for our Widows uh, Banquet and Celebration, Night of Honor. Uh, We're going to read here in a second. Uh, She began to share Jesus, talk about the story of Jesus after she she held him with all who were looking for the consummation of Israel, all right, for the end times. And so uh, Dr. Gary Frazier is going to put together uh, all of the things that we see going on today as we look at what's going on in the Middle East. He's going to put it all together for you. So if you like the study of end times and uh, revelation and you want to put today's modern events and see how they might place in the end of the world history, Uh, that's what this weekend is all about. And so I want to encourage you to be here. Gary's amazing. And how many of you have ever heard Gary before? Anybody? A couple of you. Okay. Uh, so if you haven't, you need to be here. He's going to be. He's going to blow your mind with the stuff that he just puts together. And he's going to pull from all over. And he's going to. Uh, he's going to help you um, uh, see things that you haven't seen in God's word before. But then take it to contemporary application and say, Hey, when you see this word mentioned in Revelation, that's who we're talking about. This area, and it's really, uh, really good. stuff. Stuff. Any first timers in here today? First timers? No? All right. Well, let me open us in prayer. We'll be in Luke chapter 2. Father, thank you so much for this day and thank you for the opportunity just to, uh, um, uh, just to study your word and, and particularly look, look at one lady, uh, Anna, who uh, other than this passage, we don't know a lot about, but it's clear from this passage. Uh, she, um, she was a powerful figure. Uh, in um, in the people of God's life, uh, and in particular as it relates to uh, uh, the Messiah uh, when He showed up on this scene on, on the scene. And so, God, uh, we just ask that you would uh, you would you you would let the principles that I want to point out today uh, from Anna uh, let them embed themselves in our heart and life and be motivation for how we should live, uh, regardless of how old we are uh, or how young we are. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. All right, as we look at Luke chapter 2, you'll remember the story. At the beginning of Luke chapter 2, uh, it says uh, there was a uh, census that was to be taken uh, in um, uh, in the land, and Mary and Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem. Uh, obviously, Mary was greatly with child, it says, and then she gave birth... Uh, to Jesus. They called his name Jesus. Uh, Remember the shepherds showed up, all of those great things. They said glory to God in the highest. The angels spoke to them. uh, And then they went away praising God. Now if we pick it up and read uh, in verse, uh, pick it up in verse 22. And it said, when time for purification rites uh, were required by the law had come, Moses uh, a law of Moses Joseph and Mary took Jesus, took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was a righteous and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel uh, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah." Then verse 27, but moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in their child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the nations, in light, of, light for the revelation of the Gentiles. Then it says, the glory and the glory... And the glory for your people Israel. Look at verse twenty-three. It says, "Then the child and the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and Mary said to uh, uh, and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many Israel.'" And to, be a sign, and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Uh, and it says, so that your thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then it says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Then if you look in verse 36, it says, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law and they returned to Galilee, to their own town, the child grew up and became strong, talking about Jesus, who is was filled with wisdom and grace, and, and the grace of God was on him. I want to talk to you today, guys, about a life well spent uh, and if you think back of what Warren preached about Sunday, it's, uh, it's neat just to kind of sit there and be in a different place and uh, watch, uh, watch online the service with your kids, even some ball players sitting around there just watching online and hearing his message and hearing what he shares. Talking about being in a cave uh, and what God teaches us in those dark seasons, those difficult seasons in life. And if you look at, um, if you look at Anna here, she obviously was in a cave. Uh, you, don't, you don't get where Anna was because everything went splendidly in your life, right? You don't, uh, you don't end up being a widow at a relatively young age uh, and struggle through life and journey through life. But she's a great example of a life that is well spent. And so I want to talk to you today about how to spend your life well, whether you're young, whether you're old, uh, whether you're in a cave, whether you seem to be in the basking in the sunlight of God's blessings day after day. I want to talk to you about some principles that we're going to see just in about four or five verses that were talked to about Anna is how we can spend our life well. And so let me give you a couple of thoughts. If you want to just write or jot some things down, if you want to know, first of all, if you're going to have a life that is well spent, you've got to remember, first of all, that your devotion to God is ultimately all that matters. Your devotion to God is really all that matters. If you just look just in those few verses about her um, about her life, she set an example of her devotion. Man, we could all take from her example of devotion that she was in the temple courts night and day. She uh, prayed and she fasted. She worshipped. Uh, that would be thought number one. Really, that's all that all that matters. Man, she was looking forward to better days, uh, even though she was a widow. She obviously didn't have much. She probably didn't have much. many, uh, uh, many people to provide for her. Part, probably her sustenance came um, from the temple or being around the temple, people just giving her something, helping her along. Um, man, if you also think ultimately uh, she, after she saw Jesus, she shared his story. And that's all she did. And so thought number one, if you want to have a life that matters, you got to remember ultimately at the end of the day, uh, your devotion to God is really all that matters. But then you also look down uh, in the next verse. I want you to know this is a good message for all of us, that being devoted to God is available to everyone. There's never a time that you are locked out of serving God. There's never a time that you are locked out of serving God. Now, in Anna's situation, uh, she probably by her family was somewhat forgotten about. You remember I shared about Tabar a couple of, uh, Tamar a couple of weeks ago uh, and, and that Judah had not well cared for her. She may have been, um, uh, been kind of locked out by her family, didn't have much to do. So the only thing she did is she turned and she devoted herself to God. And, and it's a good message that it doesn't matter. You don't have to be rich. Uh, to be important in God's kingdom, you don't have to be married and powerful. Uh, you don't have to have some high position. Uh, you don't have to be the pastor. You don't have to be the deacon. You don't have to be the Sunday school teacher. Uh, you don't have to be any of those things uh, because the truth is being devoted to God is available to everyone. And so if you think, man, if these guys in here knew what I had been through, uh, they would they would be shocked that I'm even in a church. I heard a guy um, one time, and, and I think he really meant this. Um, he says, man, when I, went, when, I, when I walked in here, I wasn't sure if hell was going to freeze over or the roof was going to cave in. All right? What was he saying? When I consider my life and think of where I was and where I am now, uh, I really don't deserve the grace of God. But the truth is, the doors of the gospel and the doors of the church are wide open to guys just like that. That's why Jesus died on the cross. I mean, you go look even in the Old Testament at the kind of men that God used. Uh, he didn't say, give me the perfect one, give me the nice one. There are times and seasons that you see uh, guys like David, just man, a man after God's own heart. But even in David's life as a faithful follower of God and a great king and one who had trusted God uh, against Goliath and the Philistines and done so many things, guess what? The the mistake was still to come, right? And and not only did David make a mistake and and commit a sin with Bathsheba, then he followed it up with a murder, right? And if if that was all we had about David, we'd say, man, that was a blip in the screen, but it really wasn't a blip in the screen. If you look at David's life, it was pretty much a slow fade, right? Think about his relationship with Absalom and the story there. His family was a mess. And it took his son, one generation of a king, to split Israel. So a lot of times we can look back on all of these stories and think about the smooth stones and we can think about David and Goliath, but we can fit, forget every one of these guys were marked men. They were marred men, marred by sin. And if you look one person after another after another through uh, Scripture, even the first guy that God called, he lacked faith, remember? Uh, 25 years, where, where is the promised son? So what was his answer? okay, I'm going to take the midwife. I'm going to take, you know, take, take a concubine. I'm going to have a child. I'm going to kind of create God's plan. And so the truth is it's available to everyone, whether you're in a cave, whether you're in depression, whether you're struggling, whether you've blown it in your past. And that's what we see, that God's favor is available to everyone if we will see it. If you just look, um, you say, well, what do we know about her? Well, first thing we know, she was a woman. Write that down. And this is not to throw women under the bus, but let's throw women under the bus, all right? Uh, in, in our day, uh, we we don't understand the Jewish mindset. So I want to give you a couple of thoughts on women. But notice what it says. There was a prophet named Anna, the daughter of Penuel and the tribe of Asher. Okay, now let's just stop right there. She was a woman, all right, that God chose to allow her son to show up to. Let me tell you the mindset. I just pulled a couple of things up. Let me give you the mindset, and some of you knew this. Uh, when it comes to a woman in that day, unlike our day, uh, man, discrimination was crazy. Uh, uh, Jewish women enjoyed more respect uh, in their day than, than, than most other cultures uh, around them in most other seasons. And if you look in the New Testament, man, Jesus elevated uh, women even more. Paul in the New Testament elevated women even more. Uh, but, man, there was a fair amount of discrimination. They were looked at as a lesser class, a lower class. They were really looked at as property. And if you remember one of the arguments that Jesus got into uh, in, um, in, in Mark chapter 10, Uh, with the Pharisees was about divorce. How many of you remember that? There were really two groups uh, that one said, hey, uh, you can pretty much divorce your wife for anything. If she burns a piece of toast, she's out. All right. One of them said, Nah, it's, 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 she's got to burn like two pieces of toast in a row. I mean, you can't, can't jettison her for the first one. Remember, that was a big argument. And that's when Jesus responded, Hey, man, from the beginning of creation, Jesus re emphasized the Genesis story. He says, From the beginning of creation, God created them male and female. And they should, the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. What was the whole dialogue over? Is that the men had all the power, right? The men basically just saw a wife as property. You saw that in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. Jesus raised the standard. She said the two. He said the two should become one flesh. Obviously, we understand the uh, idea uh, of the uh, of the physical intimacy, a uh, spiritual intimacy, but it also talks about a oneness. That man, that, 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 that woman was created by God. If you go back to the Genesis story, and Jesus was also elevating the Genesis story. What does it say? God created them, male and female, and blessed them both. All right? By the time that many of the cultures rolled along, they thought if anybody had the blessing, it was the male. Why? Because we're the stronger sex. We're, you know, we're the one that provide. And so they were just an object to be either owned and possessed and used and then discarded when they were no longer useful. But if you look at this, man, God chose to use this lady to do something powerful. Not only was she a woman, if you look now, when it came to learning, if you want to write down when it came to learning, the rabbis, uh, even in Jesus's day, uh, when they would teach the young boys and teach the young girls, they would teach the young boys a lot. They would teach the young girls just a little. And you can go look in the rabbinic teaching. And they said, because girls' minds are not developed for learning. What should a girl do? Go learn from her mother how not to burn the toast. That way you won't get divorced. All right? Uh, another thing. They had worship restrictions uh, in, in, the, in the house of worship. Uh, remember the good old days in Churches. Uh, when um, uh, when uh, when when the women had to sit on one side of the church and the men had, and did anybody ever go to a church like that? You hear about it. Anybody ever hear of churches like that? You've been in one, really. All right, Th- that women sit on one side. That's an awesome church. So uh, no, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that's the way it was. But it was that way in the temple in the and the place of worship. Mike, don't leave. I was kidding. Uh, so. Uh, uh, but in, that was the way it was in those days, that women were not free to roam anywhere men were in the temple courts. The, the women had to stay in the outer courts. Does that make sense? Why? Because they weren't worthy to enter. And my, my, my imagination just kind of runs wild. Can you imagine some of these women saying, so that dude can go closer to God, but I can't, right? And so they were discriminated against. Uh, another thing, uh, uh, let's see, in, in a court of law, in a court of law in those days, and you, you can find this uh, uh, in, in a McGraw-Hill book called Ancient Israel and Women, uh, they wouldn't even allow a woman's testimony to be acceptable in court. If three women came and said the same thing, that was equal to the testimony of one man. So if you had one man that said, no, this didn't happen, and you had three women that said it did, all right, what happened is they were negated. So let me tell you, in Jesus' day, uh, women were not uh, very well respected. Uh, But yet in God's view, uh, this woman's devotion, this woman's faithfulness, was just as important really as Simeon's because Luke provides an account of who this lady was. So that's thought number one. Not only was Anna a woman, so it's available to everyone, she was old. Did did you did you hear what it said? What is the word before old? Look in your... Look in your what does it say she was? It's very. Okay, that means she was old, all right? Anybody know old, old? You know, there's old, and then there's old, old, and then there's like... Yeah, old as dirt, yeah. All right. Now, if there's anything, you're sitting here saying, man... About time to put her out to pasture, right? Same thing with Simeon. The the truth is your age doesn't matter. Man, I I know people who are young and they are completely and totally devoted by God and God uses them in powerful and mighty ways. I know people that are old and they they are powerfully used by God and God uses them in mighty ways. I know people all in between. But you got a woman here who is very old, but she is faithfully serving God. And so let me tell you what that says. The challenge to us is it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter how old you are. God can use you where you are. And that's kind of the reality is that being devoted to God is available to everyone. And so, my encouragement to you is, uh, and this has been certainly shared by many pastors other than me, when you retire from your occupation, you also don't retire from your service to God. What an incredible testimony. 84 years old, and she is in the temple courts day and night. What is she doing? She is serving God. She isn't quitting. And so we never want to get to a place that uh, I say, I've done enough for the church, it's now time for others to serve me. Let me tell you what, if that is anywhere in your mindset, that is a totally unbiblical mindset. That is a totally unbiblical mindset. And and part of what I'm doing is I write this uh, I write this book for our widows. Is uh, we have a great widows ministry, and 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 the opening chapter is about uh, Acts chapter six when uh, Jesus. We see the church is beginning to explode, and uh, thousands are uh, are saved at Pentecost. Can you imagine those twelve disciples? You got the twelve disciples. All of a sudden, the Spirit falls. Uh, can you imagine this church? You think of how hard it is. How many hundreds of people? Just guess off the top of your head how many people serve on a Sunday morning. I did. I didn't. I didn't call you. You in advance, text in advance. How many people have to serve on Sunday morning here at Cottonwood to make it function well? Yeah, you. You're the. Yeah, I know. Scott had Scott was no help on the air conditioning. Let's see if you're a, just give a number off the top of your head. Three hundred fifty people. All right. We need 350 people to volunteer to serve. Huh? Did you you want to bump it up? Anybody want to say 400? Uh, 350 people. From parking to opening doors to helping people to the worship team, the tech team, to working with children. 350 people have to be willing to come to church, at least 350, and say, I'm not just looking to be served today. I'm looking to serve. That has to, that has, that, that's the number. And, and, and the reality of it, there are a lot of people. And even in the writing of this book, uh, in each one of these devotional chapters, I'm taking an examination of a widow. But part of what I'm, I'm sharing about Anna is she served. But if you look in Acts chapter 6... The church exploded. You can imagine all these uh, all these disciples, and man, this is incredible. What are we going to do? Can you imagine all of a sudden being surrounded by, you know, two thousand brand new believers? Imagine one day if we were a church that ran a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, then all of a sudden we walked in here and we were doing what we do now. We're running two, three thousand. How how hard would that be? You know, you'd say, man, we need servants to step up. We need people to step up in a hurry. We can't do it. And 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 so what happens is. God took a cultural thing that He had given in the law that, that people were to care for and provide for widows and orphans, and He brought that into the church in Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 6 just doesn't teach us about deacons, it teaches us about widows. That a priority for the church is that we ought to love our widows. We ought to care for our widows. And that's why we have a great widows ministry. One of the great things that our deacons do among, uh, among a lot of other things. Let me tell you what. Our deacons here at Cottonwood are superstars. Uh, our, our deacons are not allowed to sit, soaking and sour. They serve. Uh, they sweat. Uh, they're involved in everything. But one of the things that they do is just right here is they love widows. They care for widows. But the truth is, and you can, uh, you can ask deacons, there are times they'll get a widow that the deacon has to work hard to keep up with her because that's just who she is. Sometimes uh, they'll get a widow that, uh, man, they're well off. What are you going to do this weekend? I'm flying with my friends to so-and-so. I'm going here to do this. Man, a widow is wealthy. She's doing well. The husband left her, left her well off. She's all good. There are other times that, that, that they might get a widow that's destitute that's fragile, that they've got to go pick up. Mike's been down this road and depends on who your widow is at the time, that if she's getting to church, it's because a deacon goes and picks her up and loves on her and cares for her. And so they're at all stations in all ages, but widows are a priority. So this lady was a woman. And she was old. It says she was very old. I'm reminded of Psalm 116, verse 15, that says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of God's faithful servants. Man, I I don't know that much about Anna other than just a few verses, but I I think that that psalmist had it right. A faithful servant, whenever she died, he was precious in the sight of God. And so, man, I want to encourage her to be that. So... She was, she was a woman, she was old, and listen to this, she was a widow. She was a widow. And, and, and in those seasons and in those days, it says, look at what it says in verse 36. It says, she had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Man, if you think about it, uh, trials either drive us away from God or to God when you and i go through troubles and difficulties they're either going to drive us to god or they're going to drive us away from god it's very clear that these her trials drove her to god to follow god i love what psalm 68 verse 5 says that god is a father to the fatherless and a judge for the widows what does it mean a judge that God's going to stand over, watching over His widows. Make sure you treat her right. Let me tell you what: if you if you're not kind to a widow, you better get ready, because you're about to get jack slapped by God. All right, that comes comes from a Greek word, I'm sure. But God says, "Man, I, I'm a father to the fatherless." What is it? that's when we talk about widows and orphans, right? And He goes, "And I'm a judge for the widows." And we want to be careful that we take care of our widows, and that's why we do. So, man, as you think about this, the point is, whatever your station in life, whether you are young or whether you are old, whether you think that uh, you're blessed of God or we're not blessed of God, there wasn't really much about Anna's life that we know about that would have said she was blessed of God, right? When you consider she was a woman at that time, she was a widow, I'm just telling you guys, in their culture, that's strike two, all right? And now she was very old. That's strike three. But what did she do every day? She went to the temple courts to worship and pray and to serve God and serve everybody else. So my encouragement to you, man, is God's grace and the service and devotion to God is available to you. If you're just willing to seize it and take it, God's got a plan for you. God's got a place for you in his church to serve. All right, So here's the third thing. (coughs) Devotion to God uh, takes place in outward forms. Devotion to God takes place without in outward forms. Let me let me encourage you, write down that outward forms. There are a lot of people that we look a lot at and we think, oh, they're just so highly devoted to God. Just look at the aura. Look at the look at the just way they look. Look at the fact the answers that they give in church. But is there are there any outward signs? of devotion to God. What I mean by that, where are they serving? What are they doing? I'm just going to tell you if, if all you do is read your scripture and come to church and you don't serve anyone, you don't serve the church, you don't do anything, you're not fully devoted to God because your devotion to God will take place in outward forms. You will do something, all right? Uh, you know, you, you, you can sit here and say, and I, I love prayer warriors. I like, man, if, if I ever am diagnosed with something, there's some prayer warriors in this church. I want them praying. But let me tell you, if you tell me all someone is, and if someone uses the excuse, I don't serve, I'm a prayer warrior, I'm like, show me that spiritual gift in Scripture. You just, It's not in there. Man, the spiritual gifts, I lead, I administrate, I serve, I show mercy. I, what is it? They are actions. They are doing. That's what love is all about. And so as we look at this, man, it takes place in outward forms. What do you see? Look at it in verse 7. Look at it in verse 7. She never left the temple courts, but worshipped night and day fasting and praying. All right? So she worshipped night and day. So she had expressions of worship. Even in that word worship is the idea of service. She was worshipping servants. So you can put this, night and day she was in the temple. She was serving, she was praying, and she was fasting. Now, fasting, uh, we're never commanded to fast, by the way. We're never commanded to fast in Scripture. But we see a lot of examples of fasting in Scripture. You say, Pastor, what's the, you know, what does it mean to fast? It's just real simple. If you want to write this down, this isn't rocket science, all right? It means to do without food for a while. All right. That's what it means, that you choose, whether it's for breakfast or for a lunch or for a a dinner or for a day or for a morning, that you are going to choose to go without sustenance, without food, to devote yourself to God, to to read Scripture, to pray, to do something like that. I I can tell you, you can look at, um, I think it was Bill Bright a number of years ago that uh, went on like a 40-day fast, truly went on like a 40-day fast. Uh, and he he took liquids and the right amount of liquids and vitamins and stuff like that, and uh, it was really good for him. He lost about 70 pounds, but you know he, he really he really began to hear from God. Uh, I'm not recommending that, uh, but it doesn't hurt from time to time for you to take a time off to say, you know what, tomorrow or these next five days. And from time to time at church we'll do, we'll do this. We'll put in a Bible reading plan and we'll encourage you. And if you want to read your scripture instead of going to lunch, read your scripture. Perhaps do without just to deprive yourself a little bit so you can be fully devoted to God. And so it says she fasted. We're not commanded in Scripture. You say, where else? Uh, uh, if you look in Acts chapter 9, verse 9, remember after God showed up uh, to Paul on the road to Damascus, what did it say? Went out with food and went, out, went without food for three days, right? Uh, there was a fast. If you look in Acts chapter 13, verse 3, it says, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. That was when they sent them off to a missionary journey. If you look in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, you don't have to remember these to get to heaven. I just want to show you, that although we're never commanded to fast, there are examples of fasting and when they really wanted God's blessing, that they fasted. They took a season off. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5, it says uh, Paul is talking about his life. He says, in beatings and imprisonments and riots and hard work and sleepless nights, and even when I was hungry. What is he saying, man? It, it was a fast, but it was not a self-imposed fast. I was just out of everything. So what did I do? At that time, through my beatings, through the tru- troubles, through the trials, through the struggles, I just devoted myself to God. That's what I did. And so if you want to think about fasting, consider doing it. Also, you can look at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Then he talks about a self-imposed fasting. So learn to devote yourself to God. Prayer. Um, prayer is not just what we do when we stop and we get down on our hands and knees. We are told to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? There are times that I get down on my hands and knees and I pray, that I pause. But there are other times that, man, you just roll through life and you're just t- constantly in communion with God. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? That means there needs to be a constant conversation between you and God through His Word, asking Him to lead your path. Man, you're walking into a big meeting, just say, God, I really want to glorify You and I need, to give, need You to give me wisdom and tell me the words to say. Um, there are times that uh, we can think back, perhaps you can think back, and all of a sudden there's a bitterness in your heart or an anger or an unforgiveness or you feel like somebody's done something to you. Man, just pause and in your mind and in your heart say, God, I need you to help me deal with my emotions right now. Man, God, just, 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 just calm me down. And that's a prayer. And so we need to understand that, man, there are times and seasons for fasting. It's never commanded, but it's a good thing, all right? We should always be in prayer. You say, how do you know that prayer uh, is not a time when you're always on your hands and knees seven days a week, 24 hours a day? Well, because I also know there's another command in Scripture that says if a man won't work, neither should he eat, right? How are you going to work right there Unless, unless someone's paying you to pray? I can tell you, if if I started uh, saying, you know what, I'm not going to do anything at church. I'm just going to pray. Let's just say that that's what all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I miss one Sunday and another Sunday and another Sunday and another Sunday, and another Sunday. People start going, "Well, where's the pastor?" I say, "Well, you know, he's a prayer warrior." What do you think? How long do you think it would take for the personnel team to say, "We don't pay prayer warriors"? We pay pastors that do something, right? Because the definition of a pastor is a shepherd. You tend the sheep. You care for the sheep. You lead the sheep. Uh, Sometimes you correct the sheep, right? So all of those lead to what you should do. So if you're a prayer warrior, great. There should be a lot of doing involved with your praying. And so that's what we need to understand. It says, man, she worshiped. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. So here as you think about it, man, it's available to all. She was a, she worshiped. She was also a witness. Notice as you drop down to verse 38, it says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all of them, to everyone. Let me just stop you right there. Once you have worshiped God, our job is to be a witness. And I love that beauty of Anna, this widowed woman who is very old, served in the church night and day, the temple, the church of her day. She served night and day, but then she never stopped speaking to people about what really mattered.